0: Hey, Adam, I've got some good news. I love good news, Nick. Well, guess what? I got some. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me. As of this episode of the show, Thank the Maker is partnering up with Roosevelt's, the company that makes all those rad Star Wars button downs that I've been wearing recently. Yeah, they do t-shirts and shorts and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very pumped that they are teaming up with Thank the Maker. And on top of that, they're also going to be involved helping us throw the ultimate Star Wars party. Mosh Eisley, from here on out. So stoked. I love
1: that company. I love their stuff. I'm going to get some. I, I actually don't own anything yet, but I, I saw everything that you got recently. So I'm going to go, and everyone who's listening should go to Roosevelt's.com. That's dot com. and use promo code Thank the Maker with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. That's R-S-V-L-T-S dot com. It's like Roosevelt's without vowels because, you know, millennials. And use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off your first
2: purchase. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam
2: Russell, and I'm in my own home. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you are. I'm Nick, and I'm in my own home. I'm Mike Forster, and I have been in my home for months. Lucky. <laughs> Years, it feels like. I did go to a wedding, and and that's why my throat is cashed out. So if you need me to Were you
0: singing uh, Sweet Caroline at the top of your lungs? uh, That's what I imagine weddings are
2: like. Actually, this wedding closed it out with Mr. Brightside. Oh, that's how you do it. And that's what did me in, so...
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I got on, Mike flubbed his update and said that he was at a funeral screaming Mr. Brightside. (laughs) Eh. (laughs) And... I just got a hell of a visual in my head, but no, it was a wedding.
2: Can you guys please do that for mine? You just come here and just start screaming it, and they'd be like, who yeah. are Mike's interesting friends yeah. that decided this was appropriate? They're
0: musicians. They got to sing, you know?
2: He's coming out of his cage, and he'll be <laughs> not doing very fine.
1: Well, uh, we're going to reenact the wedding crashers scene when to uh, when he goes with Will Ferrell <laughs> to the funeral. Yeah.
2: Uh, 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 uh.
1: We'll do that.
2: And gliding. Yeah. You idiot. Hey, only take a good picture. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead.
1: Grief <laughs> is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac.
2: Thank the maker, A Wedding Crasher's Podcast.
1: That's what I've learned. All right, um let's let's talk about Star Wars. Hello. We are talking about The Obi-Wan Kenobi Behind the
0: Scenes Special, Obi-Wan Kenobi: A Jedi Returns. Why didn't they call it Return of the Jedi? Come on. <laughs> It's confusing. Just trying to confuse people out here.
1: <laughs> so it's notable that this is not a Disney Gallery special. Mm. And it's notable how different stylistically it is from Disney Gallery as well. I loved it though, because it, it was more of like an emotional journey.
0: Nick, how did you feel about it? You know, I didn't get the emotional journey part until I saw Hayden Christensen. I was, uh, I was sitting in a hotel room in Nashville watching it on my laptop. So just like my own scenery was different than when I would normally watch these things, which is like lights out mood lighting light some candles you know get, get real nice with star wars <laughs> but it, it, i didn't really like shed a tear until hayden started to talk about what it meant to be back and all that type of stuff so it was cool but i it definitely had a different feel like you said than gallery i wonder if that's literally because it's not a Felony favreau like kind of thing like they might have legally not been able to do a gallery. I have to go back and see. our gallery episodes like executive produced by Favreau and Filoni?
2: Probably. I, I don't
0: really remember. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think most of Favreau, Favreau's been a producer on. Yeah. Well, aren't Marvel behind the scenes called gallery? Or at least one of them? No, the it's, that's assembled. 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 Okay, okay. Yeah. So
0: yeah, it was, it was a different choice. I mean, I liked it, but it was almost them walking you through the series, right? Like thematically and what they were going for. It wasn't necessarily just behind the scenes type stuff. There was a, them talking you through choices they made story wise, which was pretty different.
1: Yeah. Story character, like giving us a deeper understanding of the series on like a storytelling level. But for me, it it was as much an emotional level. Mm -hmm. They didn't mention the volume once they didn't talk about production in terms of like visual effects or anything. It was, it was almost like a, uh, like a little mini character and story-based, uh, what was the old documentary, the original one about the original trilogy?
2: Empire of Dreams. Yeah. Yeah, that
1: one's on Disney. Yeah, minus, minus the story about the filmmakers themselves. It, it it had a little bit of that vibe to me. Mike, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I think this, uh, I had kind of the same experience. I was at a wedding and I'm like watching it in, when it dropped and I'm watching it in between you know, we have, okay, we have 15 minutes between this. And I'm like, watch, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Um, I I think mostly the reason this wasn't a gallery episode is because it it really wasn't about what kind of groundbreaking things that they had done. And I think pretty much every Disney plus show leading up to this point has focused on what they are doing to push the boundaries of the volume right? And special effects and VFX. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like the fact that they built the full size Rancor, you know, Boston, you know, there, there's just been a lot of things that they wanted to talk about. And this one particularly wasn't really about that. It was actually about the fact that they somehow got these characters to come back after 20 years. So I think it, it made sense for them to not call it gallery because, you know, then it would make it almost seem like, you know, you're pulling the curtain back. And the reality mm-hmm. was, is There wasn't much new that they had done visually other than bring back uh, these, these actors in these roles. But I think the thing that I took away from it, and I was just thinking about this before we recorded, is how cool it was for Ewan McGregor to have, of course, the role. He talks about Alec Guinness and, you know, understanding that he was like Star Wars impacted me from from a young age. And so, of course, like I, I, I jumped at the chance to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. But then we think about it, we think about the times of how people reacted to it. I think Ewan McGregor has always been universally loved as Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? But Hayden Christensen wasn't given the same response, right? right. And you think about what that meant for Ewan to be able to come back to this role, a role that I'm sure that he was like, you know, I think George was ahead of his time for the prequels and for him to just kind of go on this victory lap of being able to revisit a classic character. That's probably more his now than Alec Guinness. Yeah. Uh, For sure. With celebration with what Obi-Wan Kenobi is along with Hayden Christensen in a really powerful way. I like almost like wanted to rewatch the whole series. After watching a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And this being a thing about character and story was clear right off the bat with the way that they kind of set the stage literally and figuratively, you know, they started with this kind of rare footage of Alec Guinness behind the scenes on a new hope talking about the character and how he saw the character, how he interpreted what George told him about the character of, of Obi-Wan and then got right into like I said, setting the stage with the volume as just a large screen and having the actors standing in front of their own scenes or you know shots of you know the, one of the first ones is
0: is Alec Guinness saying hello there yeah. mm-hmm. with you and standing there I love uh, Alec Guinness's. as the the blue slippers. I feel like I haven't seen that before. <laughs> yeah. Like I know there's yeah. a Tarkin thing with slippers on, but I don't think I've yeah, seen. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Alleghan is like to think that he's wearing blue slippers in any scene in A New Hope is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so it sets this
1: emotional stage and very artistically conveys it with the imagery. And a lot of times, if when they're in front of the the screen, that they're just watching. You know, we're just seeing the light hit their face, just watching them react as the voiceover happens. And that was so effective for me, like right away, completely pulled me in. The score is beautiful and emotional. And I don't think it was the kind of thing where they're like, well, what do we talk about? Cause we don't have, you know, we don't have these breakthrough visual effects things. I would guess it was obvious at the top what, what they would tell us about behind the scenes, right? because th- there was so much writing on this. There was so much leading up to it. There was so much talk about, whether or not they were going to do this and who was going to be involved and what story to tell and what it meant and how they were going to fill the gaps. So this was kind
0: of perfect to me. Yeah. And there, there was more so than any other gallery episode, whether it was Boba or Mandalorian, there's, these are legacy characters. They, they've been yep. on screen. It's a huge deal that they came back and did this like much bigger than creating a Mando universe and all that type of stuff. This is pretty, pretty big time. So, if you haven't, you listener, haven't watched this, I would strongly
1: encourage you to watch it. Nothing that we say is going to, going to spoil it per se, but absolutely watch it. We'll give you the quick overview of kind of the structure and then we'll go we'll go a little deeper. But it's um, for folks who maybe aren't into super behind the scenes stuff, this is maybe the one out of all of the stuff that's on Disney Plus that I think you'll connect with most because it also goes into Star Wars as a fandom and how much these characters and these stories mean to fans so it's i think this is kind of more for everyone than the other gallery stuff or the marvel assembled stuff so the main parts it really is kind of the ewan mcgregor section the ewan mcgregor obi-wan section the which which goes throughout but kind of opens with that and then the vivian Lyra blair and leia section and then the hayden and vader section which includes quite a bit about Hayden and Ewan Obi-Wan and Vader Obi-Wan and Anakin and so on but then it also touches on the Inquisitors great explanation from Deborah Chow about who they are what their origin is and that's obviously you can kind of hear the difference in the voiceover too
0: that's obviously something that they purposely added for anyone who hasn't watched Rebels and stuff like that yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because I was like oh she's reading that whatever she said (laughs) whatever the line was I'm like she's reading that That's not off the top of her head. Next cue card, please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They, they briefly talked to Rupert friend. They spend spent some more time with Moses Ingram. That's really great. Actually. I love, love how they go a little deeper with her and give her some more time to talk about her experience. Cause she, you know, she was kind of shit on by a lot of people, but she's amazing on a lot of levels. The behind the, the, like the um, rehearsal stuff with her was really impressive. How, agile and and really like physically adept she was for the part surprised me mm-hmm. I mean she looks great on screen but a lot of times that's camera work that's like that stunt double stuff but no, she was nailing it in rehearsal I thought that was sick they also talked to Joel Edgerton and Bonnie how do we decide her last name is pronounced they didn't even say it Bonnie Pice Pice, Pice? Bonnie Pice yeah, Owen right. and Beru. they're both Australian didn't know that yeah <laughs> very yeah. obvious <laughs> Uh, They talked to uh, Kumail about Haja. They talked to uh, the character, the actor's name, who I already forgot, who played Tala, Indira Varma. There we go. Um, O'Shea Jackson, aka Baby Cube. That was dope. I I had no idea that Ice Cube's (laughs) Ice Cube's family sat around and watched Star Wars like super fans. Had no idea. So great. Yeah, that's awesome. So pumped on that.
0: What are the odds he's in uh, Andor? What are the odds? Come on. Yeah, it's got to be so. I hope so. Come on.
1: You know, as soon as he got signed on for this, he's like, what else? What else? Give me something else. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's just good synergy, you know? It's, it's, it works, obviously. You give him a couple of gray hairs and he's good. Yeah. He doesn't need to be that much older. Then we get a quick behind the
1: scenes with Ian McDermott and Palpatine, which has an amazing quote. <laughs> Where is it? Hold on. I wrote it down. Oh, the execute part?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. That's so good. So <laughs> he's being directed remotely by Deborah Chow who knows specifically why. I mean, you could, you could see everyone's in full COVID protocol, double masking and everything. And he being an older dude, I could, I could see how maybe they were being more precautious, but Deborah Chow's like on her couch or something like a, yeah. a giant FaceTime calls happening basically. And, um, she's like, how was that take? You know, what do you feel about it? And he goes, uh, pretty good. But I, I keep forgetting the word execute for some reason. And you, <laughs> you think that'd be a word you would remember? Yeah. <laughs>
2: He I mean, like he like so drops good. his hand, you know. He's got his like Palpatine hands up, and yeah. then he like drops his hands down. Like it's almost like you know it, you almost don't want to see that. Yeah, because like when he's in full cloak, he's like, oh sorry, you know what? I got to do that again, guys. I got to really like I don't love this. Yeah, uh, but you know, in his like somber, like you know, he goes from being evil granddad to just like granddad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the 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 last last character moment is Liam Neeson and Qui Gon which is brief, but gave us a little bit of indication of what the timeline was like. He mentioned it just being months before shooting that he was asked to do it, Mm -hmm. which may or may not. I didn't try to do the math in my head of when they were shooting this versus when he was on, I don't know, Kimmel or what it was, and he denied being offered the show. He's like, well, I haven't heard
0: anything about Mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah. But Yeah, true. I don't know. Who knows? They started filming this in 2020, so... There's one good part too that I really liked about because Camille's part was uh, pretty quick, but yeah. he said that he, he rewatched all the movies and I thought it was really kind of smart and very actory how he like portrayed his character. He's like, I kind of, I don't remember exactly what he said, but to paraphrase, he was like, I kind of just made my fake Jedi act like he only saw the Star Wars movies so all of his gestures were gestures that we all would have done like as a kid yeah which is I I was like man that's really kind of a good like angle to take on on being a fake Jedi yeah that's smart hey Nick what's up Adam where did you get that shirt you're wearing the one that I like so much with the Star Wars things on it oh this one this one I get a lot of compliments on I got this one from Roosevelt's RSVLTS you know that company I see them on Instagram all the time. They make great stuff. Shorts, shirts, all the business. Yeah. They have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously. And other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more. So many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do T-shirts and shorts. And not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm
1: going to RSVLTS.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at RSVLTS.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. So let's go back up to the top and kind of just run down a few things I want to talk about. Starting with Deborah Chow. We all we all had a lot of faith in her going into this based on what she had done in The Mandalorian. But for me, it was just fully, I mean, number one, the show was great. But two, hearing her speak about it, it's obvious that it's not like someone was holding her hand the whole time per se. She really understands the story and the the gravity of it and the responsibility. And I found the whole thing incredibly exciting thinking you know thinking about what she might be doing in the future some of the stuff that she mentioned that that I thought was really cool is how the story takes us from the the great warrior Obi-Wan Kenobi that we know from the prequels to this completely broken man to then the 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 serious calm wise focused Obi-Wan of a new hope and for all all the haters i mean I, honestly it's just young people who don't understand storytelling who were complaining about Obi-Wan not coming out all guns blazing. <laughs> yeah. And Do it, the it, lightsaber it, thing. It's the point of the whole thing. It's the point of the whole thing. And she mentioned, um, not being an action director, but feeling like she, it, it made sense to her because she, she talked about growing up on Asian martial arts films that her dad loved. And she just kind of had it in her to be this kind of director, I guess. But she was also a big fan of the Muppets, which was the only time that, the real like technical VFX stuff came in, you know, in the creature shop
2: yeah. talking
1: about her eye for creatures and how much she loved them. I thought some of that stuff was awesome. Zach Braff voicing the, uh, what's the driver's name? The, uh, the right wing <laughs>
2: alien dude, oh, the, basically the, the, uh, the pig, the, the, uh, mole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the naked mole rat or whatever's with this. Yeah. Fucking mouth. Freck.
1: Freck. There it is. Yeah. E-C-K. Right? E-C-K. yeah. Freck. F R A K. Right.
2: E C K. F R E C K. And he had the, you know, the facial prosthetic, yeah. the mapping, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, show when he was, like, hamming it up, like, the yeah. thing was talking. And then if what I thought was awesome, too, though, was that I, I'm actually quite glad that they showed as many other faces as they did. Yeah. Because, like, I know sometimes, like, creature shops that are doing that stuff, they don't want anything else to get out there because, like, you know, in case they use it, they don't want to, like, give anything away, right? But I thought that was, like, that one that goes... Uh, with all the eyes, and they're like, yeah. you know, if they oh, yeah. go like a shopkeeper that can like look all these different directions, I'm like, put that thing in Star Wars right now. That yeah. thing is amazing. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was really cool because I was looking in the background. I'm like, there's like eight heads there, so we could see any of those in any of these productions, which I think is amazing.
1: I wonder how left out those were, or if they were kind of tucked away in the back. Just assuming we'll probably tell something else around this time, or we'll use the species again, and they can pull up the exact same kit or whatever and and use it again.
2: I think to your point as well, Adam, there was something that was interesting that came up part of probably, I don't want to say a complaint, but I would say a very notable difference was that, and this kind of goes tagline. You can listen to a lot of episodes. We've talked about this with the, uh, with the volume is that there were like Rodriguez had a really hard time getting used to the volume and being able to shoot on it because you know, he's used to working in pretty much 2d, bring into compositing, they add, you know, animation after. So the fact that he was able to do stuff on the fly, it's almost like he had to figure it out. Deborah Chow specifically brought chung Hu Chung and his work is, I mean, he he directed the original Old Boy,
1: oh, uh, which
2: is an incredible film. Um, and, or he was the, he was the cinematographer for that. So there was a noticeably different, like a lot of people were like, well, there's like shaky cam in Star Wars. Like, what is that? And, Hearing her say that she grew up on Asian action martial arts films, I'm like, for her to be able to work with him. Yeah. And the fact that they were probably like, who would you want to do this? She was like, give me the person who did this style so well. And there were a lot of those like very non Star Wars cuts, uh, shots. There was a lot of just kind of different angles. We saw a lot of like follow cam, like just interesting stuff that we haven't seen in Star Wars. And it makes complete clarity of why they made the decisions that they did, just hearing her describe her process. I was like, that's pretty cool. And I agree with you. I think people who hated on this series uh, up until the last two parts, I wonder why, <laughs> could benefit from watching this. Truly, I think that. They'd have to admit that they were wrong, though, and they'll never do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know they aren't gonna do that. Uh,
0: the one thing, too, is talking about uh, Deborah. There was one interesting, like, kind of line where she basically was like, I have to help continue this story that George wrote, but I'm not George, you know? So like right right. there, that line, I was just like, that's where, Mike, what you're saying about like shaky cam and all these like different kinds of things. It's like everyone who's making Star Wars these days has the respect for what has been created, but they have to introduce new, more modern or just even different things. And it's really interesting when you're like, creating something like for instance, like when Bayside's writing a song or whatever, or even talking about like aesthetically, like what merch should look like or album covers, whatever. And like, we stay true to who we are, but when we introduce new things, we have to be like, well, is this Bayside or whatever? If it's this story of the year, you know, it's like that sort of thing. And it's like, well, if we do it, it becomes that just because we haven't done it before. Doesn't mean there aren't things out there that exist that we can't use or can use as long as it's like true to who you are and you do it with some sort of uh, creativity and you own it, then it becomes Star Wars. It becomes Bayside, whatever it is. It's like you can't like always just be within this box when you're creative because you're going to run out of space. So introducing new things that become part of your fabric of who you are is like pretty important when you're a creative person. And, and I really like enjoyed her just being like, well, I'm telling George's story or I'm continuing George's story, but I'm not George. So I got to do my own thing.
1: Right. Yep. Can you imagine 45 years in, you know, it's one thing to be 15, 20 years into your band and talk about an album cover or a song or, or merch you know, it's still the original few people or whatever, this kind of thing. She said, she's not George, whatever. It's not only an artistic challenge. It's like, it's a responsibility.
0: It's for sure.
1: It's scary as hell. I would imagine just like everyone in every other Disney plus series we've talked about every other, Mm. you know, the sequels and so on big shoes to fill.
2: Yeah. You also have to think too, Deborah Chow isn't that much older than, she's 50 years old. Mm. So her being an inspiring filmmaker, At 30 years old, she grew up on the original Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, she watched the sequels. I'm sure like just given her background, she was like, the prequels are rad. This is cool. This is awesome. Especially being a filmmaker, you're like, whoa, these special effects are insane. Then she gets the opportunity to work on Star Wars and direct this episode of this character that thus far no one knows about. Right, because she basically like did one episode of a season that wasn't out yet, so there was no audience reaction. That's pressure to work in Star Wars. Cool, but these characters have nothing to do with anything you've seen thus far. Okay, cool. I can do that. That sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. Then she gets the opportunity to go, "Hey, listen, don't freak out. <laughs> You're going to do a Star Wars with like a legacy character." And she's like, "Okay, who? Like, I'm going to get to do like a Lando Calrissian." show, they're like, no, Ewan McGregor's coming back and he's going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And she's like, wow, I get to tell the story of a guy in the desert looking to find his faith. Yes. But also he's going to fight Darth Vader for like three (laughs) episodes. You know what I mean? (laughs) How do you not like internalize that as, you know, it's like for me, it was like working for Burton Snowboards. All I wanted to do growing up, work for Burton Snowboard. Then you get there, you're like, it's a job and I have a job to do. And I'm going to do that and you feel differently about it while you're on the job. But like, I just think about that in terms of like how crazy that would be for her. And I'm sure like, if I ever get the chance to talk to her, I would be like, how did you do that? And she would give me some great answer because she's an absolute professional. But um, yeah, how do you not freak out yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, freak out every day. With
2: those two characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like seriously, it's not like it was like, oh, hey, we're going to do this like Mace Windu spinoff. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Whoa. Yeah. Heavy.
0: Yeah. I think that the like creative aspect that I like, I enjoy too about, I mean, really all of Disney Star Wars right now is that it's living in the world of the box that George Lucas created, but it's making the box bigger. It's not saying, Hey, we're Disney. We bought Star Wars. We just bought the name. It's going to look like something else now. You know, it's like, and and that's kind of the parallel that I'm thinking about, like creatively to a band is there are bands out there who like in order to keep their career or to try to keep their career relevant, just change their sound. And I feel like that's easier to do than live in the box you created, but expand what the box is. And like that for sure is something that Bayside tried to do all the time is like we could easily just put out a different sounding Bayside to try and like reach new fans, get a hit song, whatever. But all we've done for the last 20 something years is like expand what Bayside is. So it always sounds like us. It's all genuine. And I feel like that's a like decent parallel to what like Disney is doing right now. And all of these directors and writers is this all looks like George Lucas star Wars, you know, quality's a right. little bit better just digitally and stuff. But as we know from the ILM documentary, digital, everything is because of George Lucas. So that's cool. But like making Star Wars, the actual like filmmaking, a bigger and wider net is way harder than just being like, we're Disney, we bought Star Wars and it looks like this now. It looks like something that is unrecognizable. It's right. like, no, they're staying along these guidelines, but kind of also expanding that at the same time. And I think that's really difficult. The threading the needle. Mm-hmm. So of the
1: needle to thread. Talking about understanding characters and trying to embody what George created, those characters and those actors' performances, let's talk about Ewan. Obviously, this this whole thing is about him, and he talks throughout the whole thing. He was, was a producer on this show. A producer can be a lot of things. It's a common question, what is a producer, what do they do? Sometimes it's just a title you get because you were in the room, or you helped greenlight a thing, or you funded something or this or that. Sometimes it's being very involved in the creative process, not on a director level per se, but working with a director, making sure from a 30,000 foot view that a story is being told in a way that is cohesive, that checks the right boxes, that delivers a particular vision. So you and being for all intents and purposes, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he is synonymous with that character. He is that character to, I mean, there there are millions of people on this planet who know him only as Obi-Wan Kenobi, period. <laughs> you know, they think about Alec Guinness as secondary to him. So it makes so much sense that he would be a producer on it. And, and Deborah Chow talks about that, about how, how important of a collaborator he was. She looks at him and she looks at, at Hayden Christensen like the characters. She talks about their dynamic together, how they really do seem like brothers in a way. It's the kind of stuff that we talk about as Star Wars fans that super fans talk about and hope, you know, like you hope that your favorite band is who they are on stage in real life. You hope that the actors really are the characters in real life, even though obviously they're not. But to hear it from their own mouths and hear it from the director or other people involved, it's like so, I don't know, fulfilling is the right word. It's just it's like validating that we're not all just like crazy super fans with (laughs) wild, fantastic Uh,
0: ideas of who these people are and uh it really warmed my heart you know what i mean yeah if there's one thing that these docs do is like they really do a good job of letting us know that the people who are making this stuff really care that makes me happy
1: wasn't it dope watching him in the behind the scenes stuff from the phantom menace yeah when he kind of first meets you you can tell he's meeting george yeah for real you know maybe he had already done his audition by then, whatever, but he's, his jaw
2: literally drops. He he, he walks and he goes (laughs) like George, like George walks in and he kind of does this like, Oh shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it was really cool to hear George explain basically the entire concept of what the Phantom Menace was like bringing us up to episode two. Yeah. The idea that Obi-Wan reluctantly takes on Anakin as a Padawan to honor Qui-Gon's dying wish and so on. As much as we all like to kind of, you know, bust George's balls about his only direction being faster and more intense. The way he explained in those few sentences who Obi-Wan is as a young Jedi in these prequels kind of covers it all. You know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. go deeper, of course, but to to find the the deeper character motivations. But that elevator pitch for Obi-Wan is like, Mm -hmm. okay, yep. I fully get that's it. That's really exciting. Yeah.
0: Think about before you even, like, if you're Ewan McGregor, or even just hearing that elevator pitch at that point before you see how it turned out. Like, we all know execution-wise, is, it is is what it is. But, like, imagine hearing that that's the story you're going to tell in whatever year that when they were filming in 97, whatever it was. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's such a good idea. Like yeah. on paper, the story of Phantom Menace and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan finding Anakin, like that is really, really awesome. Yeah.
2: I think you have a a difference of like Ewan was coming off of very character focused pieces for him to get cast. Like Trainspotting was his biggest, was his biggest movie. And it's like a movie that literally is, I mean, it's an incredibly acted movie and it's like very dark humor, Danny Boyle style. And for him, I'm sure there was equally excitement of Star Wars is amazing. I'm going to get a lightsaber. Awesome. I'm in hundred <laughs> percent. But then to kind of understand a little bit more of hearing George Lucas be like, yeah, there is going to be depth to this role, especially knowing that like we're going to do three of them. There was always a plan to do three of them. So I think for him to probably read and talk to him about the idea of being like, what are the other two going to do? He probably was like, this is amazing. I feel like you see that difference of how he understood that character, of why he wanted to come back, was because the story was there, right? Mm -hmm. And even just recently, Adam Driver being like, if the story is there, I'm in. Oscar Isaac now changing his tune from like, oh yeah, I'll join Star Wars again when I want to buy another house, which is true. But I think the idea of a great story would be hard for any self-respecting actor to turn down and be like, this does sound pretty awesome. And I think for him to be able to have that moment again with, with Hayden, you could hear it in both their voices. It was like the story felt right. The story was something we needed to tell. Why wouldn't we do this? For sure. And you, and a
0: couple of times mentioned, which I think is a good way to like kind of save face and just also take the high ground. Literally is a couple of times in, in the doc, he was just like the people who we made these films for love these films. And he says it two or three times. And I feel like that's like slightly throwing shade, you know, in a good way. Like we didn't make them for the people who hated them. You know, it's like, we didn't make them for the the sweaty old dudes who denounced everything because they didn't look like the originals. It's like, we made them for the kids and the kids who liked them are adults now. And this is our, our group that we're trying to reach right now.
1: I love that you, (laughs) you said sweaty old dudes that didn't like them. And I, I just, the, the exact image that you're thinking in your head popped into my head i know it yeah the comic book shop guy from uh, from the simpsons
2: yeah. The yeah. simpsons yeah.
1: speaking of the understanding that the actors have of how profound this whole thing is it's it's not just i would say in addition to that their relationships together what they went through with those you know sweaty old haters and then then the the acceptance of the young fans who grew up and probably all the conversations that Hayden Christensen, for example, has had anytime he runs into any fan that make it clear that what they did is, is so important mm-hmm. in human history, their reunion on screen in front of that big volume screen, where they're kind of, they're watching the clips of them together. Obi-Wan's, I just called him Obi-Wan. Ewan's standing there watching Hayden walks in and Ewan says, says hello there to him, you know, and they're yeah. kind of like, laughing. They're like nudging each other and they're just like smiling and having the best time ever. You know, he hits them with a, like a high ground joke, you know, because mm. they're wa- they're watching the moment and Hayden says, I mean, you warned me. You had the high ground. And then Ewan says, if I had a dollar for every time <laughs> someone's told me I had the high ground. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I immediately thought of you, Adam. I yeah. immediately <laughs> so thought good. of you.
0: There goes my plan. <laughs> Do you think that there was like a meeting or an email or something where someone... From Lucasfilm or whatever, someone had to be like, all right, so in the last five years, the internet's really taken off on a couple of things here. The high ground is one of them. It's a joke. Mm -hmm. People love it. It's like a joke that everyone loves. Hello there. Even bigger. Everyone loves it. You Imagine getting an email like that. Like, hey, some like kind of sort of throwaway lines are massive hits 20 years later on the internet. I would love to get that email or something one day to just be like, Hey, this thing you did that you haven't thought about in 20 years, massive hit. People love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just go out there in front of this crowd at celebration and say hello there. And people are just, minds are going to explode. But like, mm, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Drop to this is where the fun begins line and watch everybody's <laughs> brains
1: explode <laughs> all over the convention center.
0: Yeah. yeah. One
1: of the touch just on the list of the many heartwarming things in this Talking about Hayden's first day on set. It's when they shot the vision that Obi-Wan has of Anakin in episode three era robes, you know, sitting on the ridge. He kind of sees him off there in the distance, right? So that was the first shot they did. And Ewan had been filming that day. He was done, he had wrapped, but he insisted on staying to be there for Hayden's first scene, not only to be supportive, but to be there for his eyeline reference. He stayed. With the camera, you know, a hundred yards away or whatever the hell it was. And I love how he actually, he yelled Obi-Wan <laughs> to you across the way. And it's, it's like, it's just so good, man. It's just, all this stuff makes me so happy. You think about how many actors can't even be bothered to show up on the same day. You hear about actors who only do stuff on green screen because they can't be bothered to be around other people messing with their process or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't I name names. And they go on to talk about how connected they are. They Like like we said earlier, Ewan says he's, he's like a brother, you know, and De- Deborah Chow says how they are the characters. And it's this kind of stuff that reminded me as I was watching this, as I was like crying through this whole thing, because the whole thing choked me up just like part after part. It reminded me how I used to be very reluctant to watch Star Wars behind the scenes stuff because I was afraid it would demystify the whole thing to me. I didn't want to be... Out of the universe, I didn't want to see actors being actors, but the connection these guys have, uh, number one, I've kind of broken from that, just, I've just changed. But this kind of stuff, especially not only doesn't demystify it, it just further enhances the whole experience for me and like deepens the connection because they are, like I was saying earlier, yeah, they go about their daily business and they don't wave lightsabers like, you know, in public, but they are the characters in a way. Mm-hmm. in real life together and it man we're we i and we are so fortunate to have these people in these roles caring this much and sharing all of this with us yeah. behind the scenes as well
0: and i think why also another thing is i never seeked out like until we were doing thank the maker and we covered kind of like some behind the scenes stuff when we were covering the prequels and original trilogy But the behind the scenes is just different now. Like the literal behind the scenes day-to-day production of these is literally different and not to beat a dead horse, but like these people care. And it's like watching an extension of our fandom create the thing that we're fans about. And it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Deborah Chow says she's talking about
1: Hayden returning to Star Wars because there is this sort of um, section with Ewan and Hayden's reunion and then it kind of breaks away and it comes back and does a section just just on Hayden, basically. She says, Hayden is Anakin Skywalker, and he knows this. He's been away long enough and re-embraced, and he's gone deep enough now that it's not like, you know, like prequel haters would, would say, and I at points in my life where I, you know, was sort of at a low point in my, my feelings for the prequels might have said, he needs a different director to make you know, to get a different kind of performance out of him. But the version of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader that Hayden played in this was fully Hayden Christensen, but it was fully Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. He just killed it.
0: You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
1: Right. He wasn't less himself. He was just the best
0: of himself that he, that he could have been. Yeah. I think that's twofold. I think the character of Anakin's been flushed out way more like Mm -hmm. post prequels. And then, something that they touched on i feel like hayden talking about talking to deborah how they ended every conversation it's like we have to get this right we have to get this yeah. right so i feel like performance wise he was just like listen load the bases i'm gonna hit a home run you know like <laughs> yeah. we, there's a lot more meat on the bones here right now for me to like crush this and clearly it worked but even with the the stuff you do with george we talk about that
1: that moment with George explaining everything to Ewan on episode one, Hayden mentions something that George said to him while he's in the makeup chair and he's he's getting the, all the burn stuff put on. He says, as was explained to me by George Lucas, even when he becomes Darth Vader, even when he's fully immersed in the dark side, he's still the chosen one. So he's not just reading lines. He's not just thinking about the emotional content. He's, he understands the story deeply. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, you know, we we mentioned this, while we were covering the show that he, he went back and watched all of the clone war stuff. This dude didn't just show up for a paycheck. Yeah. And I have so much respect for him so much mm-hmm. more on top of the respect that I already had for him enduring the years that he
0: did through all the crap. Yeah. So that's a, that's him. a pretty good nugget right there from George. Like even though he's fully immersed in the dark side and he's Vader, he's still the chosen one. Like that did not change. Yeah. One thing they didn't mention. The only thing that I wish
1: they would have mentioned that it was more uh, production and technology related. And I wonder why they didn't. No mention of the re-speecher voice deepfake thing that they did with Hayden's voice and James Earl Jones' voice. It's fully confirmed that they used it. It's in the credits, re I wonder if that had to do with maybe not tarnishing James Earl Jones as the definitive Darth Vader voice in a way. Or or if it just didn't fit thematically This documentary because it was more
2: about the story yeah i could go either way with it is james earl jones credited i forget i think so yeah i think he is but i think i to adam's point the idea of being like don't worry everyone we've completely replaced the amazing human being that is james earl jones (laughs) with a computer yeah like that's almost like whoa i don't know if i like this so i think they're just kind of downplaying where they use it that makes a sense and again to I mean, they they let us know what it is. If you're really that interested, go research it. I think all in all, it was the right call. It humanized the entire thing for me. And, and I looked, I seriously like, for whatever issues I've had with Obi-Wan and there were some things I'm like, okay, that's different. And I'm just trying to get used to it. I feel like this filled in, this smoothed over so many gaps for me, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I feel like in a weird way, this is a very random, off the top of my head thought. I feel like, re and de-aging and all of this stuff almost exists yes in continuity to like keep stories you know looking the same but there's got to be a part of it that exists basically to like shut people up to be like well that voice doesn't sound right or that person's we can't just get alden Ehrenreich to play han solo we should have de-aged han solo to like harris ford to play han solo and then I feel like people complain about it either way, you know? It's like yeah. there's no there's no right way to do it. It's like people complain about Mark Hamill being Luke and de-aging. It's like, ugh, come on. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's no winning when it comes to this stuff.
1: It's that meme that we, that we posted last year sometime. It was a uh, new Star Wars when it comes out, new Star Wars five years later, new Star <laughs> yeah. Wars ten years later. Yeah. You know, it's I hate you <laughs> and then the Han Solo shrug or whatever. And then the last one is... The sacred Jedi text. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's the progression. All right. Let's um let's wrap it up talking about Leia. Well, almost wrap it up. There's a great bit at the end during the credits. So mm. Deborah Chow describing Leia as a character and showing all the behind the scenes footage. Jesus Christ. Talk about <laughs> Yep. Talk about me doing my typical emotional thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Man. Some of it familiar, some of it less familiar, rarer footage. And then they bring in the footage of Vivian Lyra Blair. And man, it's just, it's so good. That little girl is so smart and talented. It is unbelievable. Even the, the way she speaks in interviews or, you know, just, you know, on set, hearing her talk with Deborah, they're having conversations about, well, what would you do in this situation with your own mom? You know, what, what kind of breaks her down or whatever? Most little kids are like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Mm, nachos or whatever you know, like she's like hmm well honestly
0: hugs <laughs> nachos hugs,
2: nice hugs, dude
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. i have a belly button you know well vivian uh, there's no nachos in star wars what else you got
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as i uh, as the only dad of this current group here there is something to be said for uh you know i understand that child actors are usually quite have have kind of grown encouraged to be a little bit more mature than they are but what you're seeing deborah chow do there is like you're pretty much get the kid to do what you want by giving them a choice of being able to do it so you find a lot of times that it's easy for a director to go no no, no do it like this but like if the person the actor especially a child is not understanding why they think they keep doing it like how you're showing them how to do it But in your head, you're like, no, no, this is wrong. And they're going, well, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. I don't understand why what I'm doing is wrong. And so it's a very subtle parenting technique. That's like, you know, rather than give my kid and just tell my kid it's bedtime, I go, would you like to play for five more minutes? Or would you like to read for five more minutes before play? Then she gets to make her own decision, but ultimately leads to bedtime. Right. And so her kind of asking her to to draw on her own opinions about her own experiences like that. I mean, I would say probably most directors would agree that basically being a director of a film set is basically being the parent. Yeah. But in this particular case, it certainly was almost just like that. So I thought that was really cool that they chose to show that because it showed Vivian kind of having her own moment of being like, do you want me to do it like this or like that? I love that they included that.
1: You know what it immediately reminded me of? talking about what it takes to direct children and get those kind of performances out of them. Mm -hmm. The ET behind the scenes Mm -hmm. Spielberg working with drew Barrymore. Like, yes, the series was amazing. Yes. Deborah Chow's work on the Mandalorian was amazing, but seeing her work with a child and get that kind of performance out of her, not, not to discount Vivian's talent, but man, I think I said this when we were covering the show, Deborah Chow is a special kind of talent. And she has an amazing, phenomenal, wild career ahead of her. If she continues to be given the opportunities that, that Disney's giving her, um, I'm pumped for it. I also thought it was awesome to hear that Vivian learned how to read on Star Wars books. Oh, yeah. Little kid Star Wars books.
0: Yeah. I wish there was like more. I wish there was a little bit more info, like exactly what books. That was a little yeah. like, I was like, oh, that's cool. But which ones?
1: <laughs> I remember seeing one that I forgot who I might have a copy here, but. It's the whole alphabet with Star Wars droids and characters and so on. Things like that. And then they talk about how much she loves droids. (laughs) Yeah. And seeing her interact with uh, R5 or whatever it is. And um, being vegan and being so connected to Mm non-humans, myself, and my wife and I are the same. We're like this about robots and stuff. My wife always talks about being nice to the robots (laughs) because one day they're going to have emotions. And if nothing else, if you're not nice to them now you'll you'll be dead later it's obvious that she's like a vegan vegetarian kid of vegan vegetarian parents who are very compassionate and empathetic and and have taught her to think about what others feel even if that other is a robot being remote controlled by somebody on set you know what i mean she just she has that kind of connection it seems like and it's it's cute as hell but it's it's
0: also beautiful on a human level yeah i mean they they really made uh a great choice. I, it was a really interesting too, to see them like you and, and Vivian on like a, I think they called it like a chemistry test. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which is a weird term. Cause when I just said that, I was like chemistry test. That's what you do in school. But like, <laughs> it was just a zoom. Cause I assumed that like, they were probably in different parts of the world, but yeah. for them, like acting out a literal scene that wound up being, you know, kind of verbatim in the show. That was pretty cool. And then this whole thing wraps
1: it. it well, it ends with a a fun little scene where they they actually wrap principal photography, and the whole crew is there they have a little they have a little set party, and Ewan gives out leftover cigars that he has from when his his wee boy was born he said and he he says the best line of the whole thing he says, "I'm sure Disney won't be happy about this, but uh here you go cigar d- death sticks for everyone <laughs> yeah. you know
2: and hands out the cigars It was amazing and dis and Disney kept it which I thought. Yeah, yeah. right? Like that like had to clear through Disney and they were like, all right, you and yeah, we got it. So he has one boy and four girls. <sighs> Too many. Yeah, it's a lot. But his one boy is quite young and his other daughters, I think, are all college age, if not moved yeah. on.
0: Well, one of them uh, was in the show, yeah.
2: That's right, that's right. Right. They're not we. No, they're not we, but um, <laughs> his wife, who is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, right? Mm. You know who this is? No, sounds regal. Uh, did you see Scott Pilgrim?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, against the world. It's the main yep. Scott Pilgrim's love. Oh, I know her. Yeah, um, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, she was ah. also in uh, her big like uh, Birds of Prey. She was in she was in Death Proof. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, there is a rumor. Well, she's actually she was cast in Ahsoka. So I was like, well, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She could be Hera. Who knows? Oh We yeah, don't speculate true. on this show. Yeah, but yeah. just saying. Uh so that was pretty convenient. I'd love that. That would be cool. That would be cool. So I feel like the one thing that we have to talk about, though, before we close is classic neesons. <laughs> classic neesons.
1: Yeah, we didn't, we 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 glossed over that. My bad. Uh man. Amazing to see that dude on set. And great to hear, just like Everyone else, I think we mentioned this at the top about how you can throw around ideas. We could talk about paychecks, but when it comes down to it, if you give him the elevator pitch, which he got, the idea of Obi Wan searching this whole time, calling out to Qui Gon, hearing nothing, and being lost, and then getting to a point where he he finds himself, he gets his faith back, and that's when Qui Gon reveals himself. Yeah, man, I would sign on too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> me too.
2: <laughs> that was pretty cool. the uh, The part that I thought was interesting is they de-aged him probably the least. Mm, Did anyone yeah. else feel like that? Yeah, I and I'm wondering. I I'm, I'm sure that there has to be a bit of like a a tango there where they want to say, "Hey, we're going to bring you back, but we're going to make you your younger version." Like it was some scrap footage we found from you know 1998. You know, because like I'm sure that's a not every actor might feel that that's really cool because in some ways, like acting is a young man woman's game, right? Like there are, I'm sure there mm-hmm. are plenty of older actors uh, that were in their heyday that don't get called for roles anymore because they've moved on to Chris Pratt. So, um, yeah, um you know, I think, I think it's interesting that they, that they chose to do that and how, but how noticeably stark the differences were between that when they showed him on set in Qui-Gon Jedi robes and what they had done to him versus how much older he looked when he was giving the interview footage. I was like, "Dang, like Liam Neeson is old. He's mm-hmm. no spring chicken for sure. No, he's not." You know, so I thought that was that was pretty cool to see that. I and mean, that that was two two choices they
0: made because the de aging of Hayden was like not. It was like 60, 70% percent de aged. I feel like you know, like they didn't go one hundred percent. Like let's go for Attack of the Clones exactly. Like. And I guess that's probably just a choice of being like, hey, we can do it, but we didn't.
2: Yeah, right. And I think I'm sure there's some kind of narrative quality in there, too, of remembering, you know, there's a lot of times, like, if you think back to, like, the idea that it was a memory, that Obi-Wan's thinking about that. I'm sure at many times there were times where he doesn't remember him as just a teenage boy. He remembers Mm. him as, like, this is when this kid turned into a man and eventually yeah, like yeah. I wasn't I wasn't able to convince him anymore that I was the right leader for him, you know. So I feel like there was some there could have been some narrative hints in there. Um but yeah I thought again, lots of interesting choices, just quality Star Wars all around.
0: And
1: the very last thing, after the credits begin to roll, they roll the director and I think one other thing. Oh, when I started crying again? Yeah. 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 (laughs) There's this whole section that's another couple minutes of the night that this series premiered at Celebration 2022. We weren't at the actual screening on the property. We were in Nick's living room where he is right now instead. But man, I was fully transported back there for this whole part.
2: Yeah. No, you were in Top Gun. Oh yeah, because
1: we watched it much yeah. later. Either mm-hmm. way, yes, I was. Yes. We weren't in the building,
2: <laughs> which was also awesome. But then you guys came back, and I couldn't remember what was. I, I woke up in a I go, what? How was Top Gun? It was awesome. How was Kenobi? It was awesome too. <laughs> okay, I got to go back to bed. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and then there was the two the two guys that were Revenge of the Sith. Oh yeah, Obi Wan <laughs> and Anakin. I was like, this yeah. is just you know, I I, I think them coming out there and us all being together i felt that was probably the moment that like really got me I yeah. was like, oh my gosh yeah for sure how amazing is star wars
0: yeah i mean that's i i guess that's probably the first time that we've seen like you know high def beautiful footage of what we just did three months ago you know yeah but it like, being so
1: recent made it so much
0: more vivid and yeah. palpable you know yeah I mean, it would be like seeing us on Star Cruiser or whatever, you know, like I've been flipping through yeah. and seeing like our pro photo shoot Star Cruiser photos and I'm like, man, good memories. Real, real awesome yeah. stuff. <sighs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> listener, if you haven't watched this thing,
1: do it. It's unlikely that you've made it this far into the podcast if you didn't give a damn about this documentary and skipped it. But if you are here and you're still trying to make up your mind, just watch it. You'll feel the feels. All right, really quickly before we go, let's just get a few little bits from the patrons. I love you. I know.
0: Uh, Brad B fifty five says the first time Obi Wan puts his clothes back on after eighteen years, coming back to the set made him feel like a kid again. Those are Obi or Ewan McGregor's uh, words. Very, very awesome. What a feeling. Talking about like us seeing footage from three months ago and feeling good. Imagine putting on (laughs) or seeing like there was one point where the prop master was like showing them like, here's the lightsaber from A New Hope. Here's yours from three. And here's the one in between. Yeah. And Ewan was like, this was my one from three. Yeah. I think he says. (laughs) And he's like confused. Yeah. Pretty cool user it's existential says i love the reserved pride in hayden you could tell how much he had endured over the years from his demeanor the way he spoke of george and of the role was so respectful and admiring and uh this user uh, i appreciated his commentary and seeing him at celebration uh and he said the best quote or they said the best quote was ewan's a new hope line at the end <laughs> yes that was funny you could see on you and stumbles face, into it him being yeah. like, as he's talking, think of it and then pause for a second and then say it. And he's like super proud for himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, isn't it? He's so Scottish too. I love it, yeah. the way he talks.
1: It's amazing. What about you guys? Do you have a, a specific moment that's a favorite, Mike?
2: You want to go first? Yeah. I think the favorite moment for me is seeing... I mean, I'm obviously, I'm a costume guy, right? Seeing the level of detail that they brought out in the costumes again and really going through and making sure that the robes were correct. And when, when Hayden is putting on the, in that flashback moment, right. That kind of like scary premonition flashback scene. Right. You can see Hayden just, I, I mean, cause that's how I feel when I put on my costumes, what that must've meant for him to put that costume on again. And like, I don't know if I'm like jealous of the emotion that he probably experienced <laughs> or if I'm, almost just, like, glad for him that he's being brought back in a way after hearing, of course, like, okay, I said yes, I'm going to be in this role. And it leaks out. People lose their mind. Kathleen Kennedy says it at D23 however many years ago, right? Hayden Christensen is coming back to play Darth Vader. He puts this thing on, and he's like, people are going to love this, right? yeah. I just like, I don't know. I think, I think that for me was a moment just because I connect with it so personally and that costuming and these clothes are iconic, just as iconic as the characters themselves, right? So for me, that was awesome. And then of course the celebration bit because I miss you guys dearly. <laughs> Same. Nothing else. That's literally it. I just miss you guys. And that was like the last big hit. It was worth the COVID. <laughs> 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 Nick,
0: what was your favorite part? Uh, mine were little Hayden moments where he's like walking to set in. I think he was walking to do like a back to tank scene as Vader. And he has a black robe on. That's not a part of his costume. It's just more about like yeah people not taking pictures of him. And he's like, it says something like I kind of look like Darth Sidious. Like yeah. that moment. And then really, really sick. I got to find a screenshot of this. Him in the Vader costume. Without the helmet and mask on, yeah, that's sick. That looks so good, and I really I gotta find a really good, clean, high res snapshot of that because that is that's what dreams are made of. Like actual (laughs) (laughs) Anakin, that's Anakin. Oh man, yeah, so good. My my
1: favorite. Well, actually, I'm I'm, I want to do a funny funny quote before I talk about my favorite. There's an amazing moment. This wasn't meant to be funny. It was the best like accidental funny moment of the whole thing. When the first assistant director is talking, she's kind of prepping the extras for the moment when the inquisitors show up in the village on Tatooine and she's got the mic and she says, okay, um, it's not business head down aware that any moment they could turn around and snap your neck. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> she doesn't, doesn't pause at all the way. She just says any moment they could snap your neck. Okay. Thank you. I laughed out loud. It was so f- funny to me. I don't know why.
2: There Amazing. was a, there was another part, I'm in uh, a, a couple of like these like cinema, you know, people who work in movies, Facebook groups, and uh, they were talking about that moment when everyone was, she was like, there were just people standing around on set, like waiting for Darth Vader to come back. And like someone's comment yeah. was like, someone's comment was like, well if Darth Vader's showing up, it means we actually have to be there because it means that they're going to be filming something. So we weren't just hanging out, but also that was really cool that we got to see Darth Vader. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it. So
1: it's hard for me not to pick the Leia moment. You know, the little montage while Deborah Chow's talking and then the Vivian stuff. (laughs) Biased. So biased. But I I really think it was Hayden and, and Ewan's reunion for the behind the scenes stuff when they show up in front of the volume, when it's playing and they're watching the scenes and they're joking and they're kind of like nudging each other. And it's just so, so genuine. And then it's hard to kind of like lock down a specific moment beyond that. But they say so many things about their connection and man, I I felt like a prequel kid Mm -hmm. through all of that stuff with them. So I think the beginning of that section right there, that, that sequence where they come together and they start kind of reminiscing. I think that'll be my favorite patrons. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your, um, your input and just for hanging. We appreciate you a ton. We have a few bits of housekeeping really quickly. Mosh Isley is October 28th. It's happening much sooner than later, a little more than a month to go. Tickets are still on sale at moshisley.com. It's going to be amazing again for anyone who doesn't know what this is. It is a star Wars themed emo night sort of thing. This happens to be on Halloween weekend. So it's also a Halloween party. It is in Las Vegas at a venue called backstage bar and billiards. It's sort of a pre-party for the second weekend of the, when we were young festival, which is the biggest emo punk festival of all time. I'll be there playing. Nick will be there playing. We'll all be there hanging out com is where you can go to get tickets and follow at Moshisley on social media. If you want to see what it was like last time and what to expect, it's going to be the best party you've ever been to. I can guarantee that. Mike, what do you have coming up with armor party?
2: So if you listen to our last episode, that was with Stevie kick, Steven Schultz, and he hosts a podcast with a bunch of other guests that I've had on called the, uh, the dad batch, which is great. Uh, but he's got a, he actually, if you're listening to the Kenobi behind the scenes uh, episode that we're doing here, he was one of the set dressers on that show. And so he talks about all the details of like watching the set crews work, he was one of the handlers for all of the stormtroopers that they brought in for the second to last episode. Nice. Uh, So uh, if you want to hear another interesting perspective on how cool this show was to be a part of, check out Armor Party, which is at Armor Party Show on Instagram where we talk about Star Wars costumes and the people who build them. And then then our next show coming up is pretty good too, and that's a teaser for you to find out. So head over to the Armor Party Show page. Let's get to building because Halloween is coming. Very quickly, as you said about Mosh, that's coming right after.
0: Nick, how about you? Anything? No. Pass. Nice. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, we just, you and I just played a show together. That was cool in Ohio and uh, Bayside's playing in Louisville, Kentucky. I want to say September 25th at the Louder Than Life Festival. But other than that, please, especially if you're a, a Star Wars fan, follow me on social media at Nick Bayside. And that's it. I cannot wait. I think about Mosh Isley every day. I cannot wait for that to happen. So please go buy a ticket. My stuff is all at
1: Adam the Skull on social media. This podcast is at Thank the Maker Pod on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Thank the Maker on Twitter. And the week before last, our episode with Princess and Scoundrel, the kind of hybrid episode that we did, can now be found on YouTube, the video version. First time we've had any I won't call it full. Thank the maker content, but half and half. We did that with um, Sarah and Steven when I was in Houston. The audio's been out for two weeks, obviously, but now the video's on their YouTube channel. So you can follow them at Princess and Scoundrel Show on Instagram, at Princess and Scoundrel on TikTok, and follow the link in their bio. You can see it there, and we-
0: we're posting about it as well. It was a good time. I was in their home. I did laundry. Sarah was in my home yesterday for a minute. For real? Yeah. Well, we hung out. So. We had a special dinner with Dano, Sarah, and some special guests on Sunday night. I literally came from Cincinnati, straight home, got Finn, and we went and did a 10 p.m. uh, post-D23 dinner. And then I had breakfast with her in the morning, and I was like, I have to stop at home real quick because I was going to bring her to the airport. I'm like, I have to stop home real quick. A package just came. I want to just grab it. And she came in, played with Finn a little bit. Look at that. I was like, that's where I podcast. That's where we hang out on the internet. (laughs) And that's it. Lastly, if you want to support this podcast,
1: get access to our Discord server, get exclusive content, get exclusive merch, listen to us and watch us record live. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod is where you can go to do that. Patreon and our patrons who support us are absolutely the only reason this podcast still exists. We literally could not do it without you. So thank you, patrons. Thank you for being here with us today. Dudes, thanks for hanging with me. And until next week, may the force be with you.